0: everybody welcome back to the streaking lawn podcast for the second time this week it is me zach as your host uh and i have ben joining me tonight as we record on wednesday night for a thursday morning podcast publish uh ben how are you doing
1: I'm doing wonderful. Uh, this is now a 100% Philadelphia Eagles podcast in the absence of Pierce, uh, yep. who for the record, it is currently 8.42 PM Eastern time, which is apparently past Pierce's bedtime as he could not be here with us to record. So uh, sweet dreams, Pierce, don't edit this part out, yep. but I'm doing great. Ready to talk some basketball.
0: Yep. Just a little bit, you know, guys, his age, you know, need their, need their beauty sleep. Um, with that said, though, we today, tonight, are talking about uh, UVA basketball's two most recent games on Saturday as they lost to the Virginia Tech Hokies, 74-68, and then on Tuesday beat the NC State Wolfpack, 63-50, to the 22nd ranked NC State Wolfpack per the eight people because that matters so much. Um, pretty different two games, pretty interesting results, I think. No one would have sneezed at these results if, if, you know, had been pitched Saturday morning, um, Ben, you know, w- w- what do you take away from these two games? I mean, I feel like sort of like the biggest question comes in the front court and that was relatively well answered or the biggest question from the Virginia tech game was answered well against NC state, but you know, what w- what did you see overall from these two?
1: You know, I think, I come away from this pair of games more optimistic about this team than I was going in. Uh, I think the positive of the NC state win outweighs the negative of the tech loss. That tech game was one where Virginia was not favored. Virginia going on the road against a tech team that is a lot better than their red record. uh, Although they are currently losing to Boston college as we record, which is a little bit embarrassing in Blacksburg. But a good team, a team that was favored, and rightly so, in a rivalry game, and a team that's offensively just sort of picked apart Virginia for yeah. 40 minutes. Uh, this is a team that, even in Virginia's victory over them at home, looks like they might have some sort of answer to Virginia's defensive schemes with this Mike Young big man passing, lots of movement, lots of cuts to the basket. And in Blacksburg, some more shots went their way. uh, And they beat the Hoos in a game that was close the whole time, but always sort of felt like Virginia Tech was going to pull away, which they did eventually end up doing at the end. And I think the reason that I come away from this with optimism is that in the Tech game, the biggest issue Virginia had was absolutely in the front court, just dealing with guys with Grant Basile Justin Mutz moving the ball, extending out to the perimeter, and Virginia's lineups with Ben Vanderplas, Jaden Gardner just were not getting the job done. Uh, The absence of Ryan Dunn was one key thing. He only played 10 minutes, which is probably less than you'd expect against such a small ball offense, but the most notable absence obviously being Caden Shedrick, who did not play in that game. Against NC State, uh, NC State obviously has one of the better big men in the conference in DJ Burns. Uh, big guy, six nine, two seventy five, with a smooth post game, and a guy who, after seeing Virginia get exposed by Virginia Tech, really scared me. Yeah. And this is an NC State team that is ranked for a reason. They're very talented. with Turquavian Smith, Jarkel Joyner, Casey Morsell lighting it up, and DJ Burns, four guys who are probably legit at the top of the ACC or near that, at their position, right. and who I was really scared of going into Tuesday night. And Virginia didn't just beat NC State. They beat them pretty soundly. It was never a game that really felt like it was in question at any point after the initial Virginia run to sort of take the lead. Uh, NC State looked discombobulated. Uh, they looked out of sorts all night. They, I don't read that much into body language, but their body language on the court, very poor, sort of like, just look lost in JPJ, yeah. which... We haven't seen Virginia do that to a good team in a long time, and a lot of it came from solving the problems they had against Tech. They played Caden Shedrick, matched him up with D.J. Burns, and Shedrick absolutely got the better of him, Uh, whether it was winning on the defensive glass, whether it was winning in one-on-one post-defense, stopping Burns from getting that left-hand hook that he liked so much, or whether it was drawing fouls on D.J. Burns and forcing him out of the game uh, about midway through the first half and in the second half. Uh, Shedrick came in and immediately made an impact and simply showcased why he needs to be a part of the rotation going forward. I mean, he played 27 minutes, but it's so good to see him come back after this run of weird games where, call it leaning into the small ball lineup, call it whatever you want to. It was strange that a guy who most advanced metrics grade as one of this team's top two or three players simply wasn't on the court at all. But I think we saw against NC State, part of the solution to this front court problem that's emerged for the Cavaliers in that Shedrick is still a good player and still an impactful player when he's on the floor. And him getting his groove back is probably the most meaningful thing that happened in these two games. Uh, what did you think, Zach?
0: Yeah, no, I, I think you know I line up very similarly with you. I think Caden being able to bounce back like he did is huge. I do think for as good as DJ Burns is, he's a good matchup for Caden because beyond mm-hmm. just sort of like putting his shoulder into him, the matchup does favor Caden just because he's taller, quicker, um, lengthier. He, he has that going for him. And it was sort of just like if he could avoid the dumb routine fouls, then he could probably stay on the floor as long as he didn't pick up three blocking calls. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think in that case, like, you know, it's good to see him be able to get comfortable again. And it's good. It was nice to see him offensively, like getting opportunities to finish at the rim. Cause that's where he's at his best. You know, he's at his best when he can get, um, you know, the passes from recent Kie. And I don't think that sort of his ability to finish around the rim should necessarily be underrated or just sort of counted as like, well, that's just what big men do. Because I think that UV doesn't really have that otherwise. Cause I don't think Ben Vanderplas. Jaden Gardner, um, I mean, I know they're not just off of the stats. They're not, they don't finish as well around the rim as Caden does. He's one of the best in the country at it. Um, even Poppy doesn't give you that. Just, you know, being able to rely on, on having a guy who you're going to dish the ball off to and is going to convert that into points the majority of the time is valuable, um, especially if Ben Vanderplas doesn't really shoot well from three. All of a sudden, you know, I, I think the Caden. Using Caden for twenty five plus minutes per game becomes necessary, um, especially against these teams. You know that that do have that post threat. And so I think that was huge. I think we talked about it. Like the really big question mark for the personnel at this point in the season, like who hadn't stepped up, who hadn't sort of developed since the beginning of the year. It was Caden. Everybody else has like made market improvement or you know they didn't really need to improve beyond what we saw in the first you know in in non-con play just because they were that solid and UVA played that well um the backcourt defense yeah they they were it was tremendous I mean like NC State just jacks up shots like that's what they do Mm -hmm. so um taken with a small grain of salt but like it makes sense that you know they didn't really get hot other than Casey Morcell uh starting very (laughs) well and I mean, his mentality is crazy that like the flip, the, the switch that was flipped when he went to NC state, just turning into this like absolute baller. Um, cool to see annoying to watch uh, from the UVA perspective. Nonetheless. Um, yeah, no, they handled NC state and it kept, it kept feeling like the fact they were going to make that run and they were going to close it to three points. And then we were going to have a game on our hands but UV had never really let it get to that point. And I think that that was particularly impressive. Isaac McNeely, a couple of big plays down the stretch had that block with three minutes left, um, three with about a minute 45. And so I think that like, it remains to be seen how Virginia can really perform against that top tier of college basketball. You know, what happens when they make it to the sweet 16 and they have to play a top 16 team because they haven't done that since Baylor you know, like, and that's, or no, sorry, since Houston. Um, But those are the only two teams that they've played that like are sort of in that echelon and, you know, Baylor and Houston have a great degree of separation between them. But still like the ACC is just not that challenging. Um, You can pick up road losses that are tough. So I, I think in the grand scheme of things, like it's hard to evaluate. It's still hard to evaluate UVA amongst the rest of college basketball. That being said, like, the problems are getting cleared up for them at this point in time. And it just sort of becomes a matter of like, can they perform? Like, I I think that that's sort of like where we're at in the season where it's like, you just got to win on the road. You got to win tough games on the road against solid teams. And you got to take care of business against teams that are either not as talented or not as experienced uh, as as UVA is. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like the NC state win, it wasn't ho-hum, but like there wasn't a ton of new developments from it beyond Caden's emergence. I think Ryan Dunn still getting limited minutes is interesting. I think he's going to like his playing time is going to continue to be situational. I do wish that Tony would roll with him more in small ball lineups with Vanderplass rather than sticking Gardner in. Um, I mean, you, you had a great piece go up on the site uh, sort of about those front court pairings and, you know, how Vanderplass and Gardner is one of the worst, um, you know, per Evan Maya, one of the worst pairings for UVA on the floor. Um, do you think that, like, is the gardner Vanderplas pairing, is that sustainable? Is that, like, can they rely on small ball still? Like, is that still something that they can do against teams that are going to be threatening in the front court? And, and if Vanderpals isn't shooting lights out from three?
1: Yeah, and for those of you who are not regular streaking the lawn readers, which you all should be, Uh, read my stuff, read Zach's stuff. Zach is good. Uh, Give me some charity clicks at the very least. Um, But I had a piece up on the site a few days ago about Virginia's front court and how it had been sort of the limiting factor thus far because truth be told, they have one of the best backcourts in college basketball with T.A. Clark, Reese Beekman, Armand Franklin. You can throw Isaac McNeely in there at that, in that list of guys. There are not many teams that have that level of talent.
0: Or experience. At the guard position. When you or experience. Them. Right.
1: And it's uh, like, it's one of the best units in college basketball. And so. It, it,
0: extremely well-rounded. Like, they can do it all either end. I think that's, sorry, I'll let you talk about the front court. But like, that's one thing from this NC State game where it's like, okay, if they, they realized that they could get downhill against NC State and against mm-hmm. NC State. And so, like, that's something that Kihei and Reese in particular, Reese was really good in this game at getting, downhill, even if he wasn't scoring yep. for himself. Those two in particular are very good at adapting to how teams are playing them and then attacking accordingly and to state a lot of drop coverage. Reese Beekman said, sweet, I'll just get downhill on everybody. Um, but anyway, back, back to your, your front court point.
1: Yeah. Um, but I mean, not to be elaborate when they have Kihei, Reese, Armand on the floor, they're outscoring teams by 27 and a half points for hundred possessions. That is pretty ridiculous. There are yeah. not many units in college basketball that can do that. So the issue, if there is an issue with the team that's currently tied for first in the ACC and probably the best team in the conference, it's the front court, and that issue so far had been most noticeable with the Ben Vanderplass and Jaden Gardner pairing, which I think, especially as Zach alluded to, when Vanderplass is struggling with his jump shot, we've seen he's a guy who sort of plays this streaky brand of basketball a little bit. Uh, He had that three-game run from UNC to Virginia Tech, where he scored 42 points in three games. And since then, in his last five games, he only has 21 points. Like, he's a guy who will have these ups and downs. We saw it against Baylor. He got super hot for a moment. Against Miami, he got hot in the second half. But he's a guy who I think is still figuring out how he fits in offensively when he's not scoring the basketball. And Jaden Gardner is another one of those players where he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands to have an effect on the offensive end. He has added a bit of an offensive rebounding, you know, volleyball tip out game, which is nice to have and a good thing. But other than that, he doesn't really offer much. He's not a playmaker. He's not going to create for others. And so you have two players who, when they're not scoring the ball, can be a little bit ineffective offensively and then on the defensive end with Gardner and Vanderplas the issue that Virginia has run into most often is just the inability to protect the rim I think the two best examples of this uh, actually came in two different ways uh, against Virginia Tech they got picked apart by that passing those backdoor cuts getting to the basket and sort of exposed by the lack of strong weak side help when they had Gardner and Vanderplas on the floor Whereas against a team like Pitt, it was more straight line drives, guys getting beat off the dribble, but then running into the same lack of backside help and getting easy buckets at the rim. In two games where I think Virginia's defense has looked the worst it has all season, uh, in two games where we got heavy doses of that Gardner-Vanderfloss pairing. uh, Just to read off some stats very quickly, uh, looking at Virginia's front court, these are as of before the NC State game. Uh, in ter- terms of adjusted efficiency margin, which is sort of Evan Maya's plus minus adjusted for who's on the floor, uh, that Gardner Vanderplass pairing is minus 3.1 points per hundred possessions. Uh, for comparison, Gardner and Shedrick is plus 20.4 vanderplas Shedrick is plus 20 vanderplas Ryan Dunn is plus 15. So there's a pretty clear outlier here and you can sort of see, just thinking about what sorts of players VanderPlas and Gardner are, where those issues come from. That all being said, I kind of had to eat my words a little bit against NC State because so much of the stuff that I've been critical of, this refusal to match minutes based on what makes the most sense, went out the window against NC State when Tony Bennett made the very, very good decision. After Vanderplas picked up a foul about three minutes into the game, Uh, he got subbed out for Caden Shedrick. Shedrick obviously shut down TJ Burns, uh, which was a team effort to some extent. There was some great help off the ball. Burns trying to pass out of those double teams and just getting intercepted by Kihei, Reese. Those sorts of backside picks are... Yeah. I mean, Virginia's a great team defense. They no have the guards,
0: that. yeah, to play sort of like center field back there. I think they mm-hmm. were doubling too fast with Caden on Burns. Like, some of the time I'm like... He can guard him one-on-one. Like, he was staying Yeah, that Especially, it, it's one thing if he's, like, lowering, lowering his shoulder, and especially when he was catching, like, in the, like... 12 to 15 feet from the basket you know specifically on the baseline it's just sort of like let him start to try to put his shoulder down and maybe then send the double because then you can actually trap which they did some of like I don't want to like they they shut Burns down like th- that was yeah. sort of the big question mark for the defense they did it they, they accomplished it moving forward I wish that they would be a little bit more nuanced with when they sent those doubles and a little bit mm-hmm. it's tough because like and if you have more points on the front court, I want to make sure that, that, you, that you can make those. But it's tough just because Vanderpaus and Gardner are heady high IQ players, but they don't really like Gardner has some good defensive instincts from being in the, in the system for a year and a half, but they just are they're they're quite lacking physically. They just don't really have the attributes that make good front court defenders in the Bennett system or just in general in basketball you can survive with them they're not black they're not going to kill you but especially when they're both on the floor that's when problems arise just because they don't have the size they don't have the length they don't quite have um the instincts of a shedrick or of a beakman or of those sorts of guys or of, you know an isaiah wilkins that's a tough comparison but still like that's sort of where problems can arise i think
1: yeah, and very few guys are gonna have like that Isaiah Wilkins level in acumen. And but also like they're a serviceable front court. They Virginia is still a good team with them on the floor. And if there no weren't doubt. other options, I think you would just say take what they give you offensively, live with the defensive issues. But they have the other guys who they can bring in and sort of two very different but similar front court pieces and Shedrick and Dunn, who are both hyper athletic but in yeah. different ways. What Dunn gives you is his quickness, his length, his switchability. It, we've seen him take away guards trying to get shots off, like at the end of the game against James Madison. We've also seen him put up ridiculous steal numbers, ridiculous block numbers, and just be a hyper-productive defensive guy. Chedrick, on the other hand, is that traditional rim protector that you put at the five who comes over, provides that backside help. And, yeah, guarded burns one-on-one in the post really well, which – I would say has been a weakness of his in the past is those sort of back down bigs. We saw him have a rough go of it against Hunter Dickinson. Um, But like, if he can guard those guys in the post, he's a really, really good defender. Mm -hmm. And uh, another issue that we talked about, obviously, is the foul trouble for Shedrick. He stayed out of it against NC state, which i mean he did have three.
0: He had three and 26 minutes, which essentially averages out to five and 40. So that's not like revolutionary. You know, that's, not, yeah, it's not that much I, better.
1: Not, like one of them, though, was like when yeah. Casey Morcel got switched onto him and I was like trying to pick on him and like ISO and he just he grabbed, like grabbed him and he him. went by. Yeah. No, that was one yeah that's a foul you can live with it's the stupid ones there were and no I think stupid that, ones they called a charge
0: opinion. i think at some point on him which was just dumb and like or no they charged. oh uh, yeah a block rather I don't, they were just mm-hmm. i don't know it, it, it they weren't the sort of fouls that had been plaguing him recently which i think is sort of the positive it didn't mm-hmm. feel like okay he's just racking up reach like just like touch fouls um, yeah,
1: he got one of the touch fouls jumping out. But, I mean, every single – Virginia is just good for two or three touch fouls trying to hedge yeah. pick and roll every single game. Yeah, it's exactly the way they right. play.
0: And that's just, like – I feel like refs do call that more than they used to because, like, Jack Salt used to be like, I'm going to hedge into this space and no one will be taking this space from me. And refs were like, yeah, that's fine. And now Ben Vanderplas like, shuffles with a guy. And, mm-hmm. like, the guy – Puts his arm into him and then bounces off, and it's a foul and it's like, I don't think this is how it used to go. um yeah, apparently Russell Westbrook just got traded uh anyway, uh back to u v a basketball um <laughs> <laughs> uh I think the Jane Gardner offensive discourse is interesting because he's averaging eighteen point three points per game in his last four. The efficiency still isn't great. Last night, he was six for twelve from the field. He was also six for six from the line. So if he's if he shoots his season average, which is four from would be closer to four for six from the line. Maybe it's a slightly you know. But I think it's hard. Like he gives you a lot on offense because when you're struggling to find production elsewhere, he can hit just sort of like dumb mid-range trippers. <laughs> like, it just sort of like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's it's weirdly similar, and, and don't take this comparison too far, but it's really similar to like having a Kyle guy type guy, type player who you can just be like, okay, shoot the ball. We don't have anything else going on offense. Just take a shot and mm-hmm. we'll take our chances with it going in. The problem is that he takes that from two and not three. Yeah. Um That being said, like it's, it's a tough balance because it's like if the offense isn't working enough that he's taking 12 shots in a game, that's maybe a problem. But if it's going in, then that's just the personnel being good. I don't know. What what do you think?
1: I mean, you got to live and die with it at this point. It's who Gardner is. He's one of the most experienced big men in college basketball. Um, He very clearly has his areas that he's comfortable in. Uh, He will get his shots from those areas. And he will get those shots, whether they're going in, whether they're not. Against NC State, he took uh, eight mid-range jump shots. I believe it was four of eight from the mid-range. Against Virginia Tech, he also took eight mid-range jumpers. Went one for eight on those. Oh geez, obviously one it's, for eight. it's he actually. I thought he did a good job of being aware around the rim in that Virginia Tech game, yeah. especially in the second half when they came out. You could see they had that point of emphasis to get downhill, get to the basket. He did a good job looking for the ball. That being said, uh, one for eight from the mid-range is just killer. Like that loses yeah. you basketball games because those aren't good shots. And when they go in, you can almost excuse it a little bit. When they don't go in, it just can't be the way you play. I mean, in that game, him and Armand Franklin were one from 11 combined in the mid-range. Those are just shots that should either be taken elsewhere or not. I won't even say they should be taken by different players. Those are probably your best mid-range shooters on the team. They should be taken elsewhere. You don't need to live in the 12 to 16-foot area as much as the Who's do sometimes. Although, as you said, it's good to have a guy who can go get a bucket it would be nice if it were a Kyle guy or sort of along those lines of Ty Jerome, who you can give the ball to at the top of the key and let him break his man down. But yeah, I guess you just have to live with what you have And Jaden Gardner is the best individual shot creator Virginia has for better and for worse.
0: I think Reese is right there with him. Like, I think that, I think we're reaching that point where Reese has figured out. And I think that other teams have figured it out, but doesn't really help because like he's, He's first of all, he's so good getting downhill to his left. Like we can pull up the shot quality numbers, but like I think that's like his most efficient um, play or type of offensive possession. You can break it down in in greater detail than I can, but um, he's just so good at at getting separation from a guy and then finishing at the rim has been incredible the mid-range shot for Reese is something that he really does actually need to incorporate into his game because <laughs> yep. while Jane Gardner uh, takes too many two-point shots, Gardner's 40 percent from two this year. That's like from, sorry, from the mid-range this year. That's just like, that's just bad efficiency. Like in it, it, a Nate Oates offense, like can you imagine, anyway, n- not a do, what's crazy
1: he... though is i feel like for the shots he gets 40 percent is actually decent like he's clearly practiced these shots a million times he's clearly yeah. comfortable with them that's um fair. like i bet there are very few college basketball players who could go 40 percent taking the same shots he does but still that's, that's 0.8 points per possession that's not good enough that's not yeah. winning offense the level and of just for con- for context for those listening uh Beakman, who Zach was talking about needing to improve, there is at twenty eight percent for the mid range on the season. How many attempts? they number uh, thirty
0: nine. Okay, still, that's it was so it was
1: a lot worse earlier in the year, so it must have gone up. Uh, at some point, he was like one for fifteen or something crazy. Yeah,
0: because that's the thing. Like he's established that he can hit threes. He's established that he can sometimes hit threes in a guy's face, like even, you just pull up on somebody, and it's obvious that he can you know, beat, beat guys off the dribble. The problem is when they sort of like, when he doesn't squarely beat them off the dribble, mm-hmm. and, and, and when it, it would be, or, or the other team has a shot blocker, or there's just too much congestion in the middle of the, of the court or in, in the paint. Um, that's that, you know, it, it, that's not going to improve this season. Like if he comes back, yeah, that's something that he'll absolutely need to work on. Um I will say that something that concerns me about the UVA frontcourt offensively is the inability to exploit mismatches. Mm-hmm. Like you saw, and again, like we're getting into a lot of sort of criticisms right now of the team. I think that's more so founded in what they can do in March than it is what they can do in the ACC, right? Like, you know, like, yes. They, these I mean, things... it's
1: almost a compliment. that Because yeah. this time last year, we would have been talking about like, like this time last year, we were thinking about, oh, how can they get to the position where they're going to get a double buy in the ACC tournament? Oh, yeah. we're on the bubble. Or which side of the bubble are we going to end up on? This right. team is way better than that team. This team is probably not in the top tier of championship contenders, but they're definitely in that second tier. Yeah. Like it, they're, they're in the EP top 10. Come on. Right. They're good. But that's why we're worried about national championship contention issues instead of can they beat St. Bonaventure and the NIT this year issues.
0: Right. No, that's fair. And I think that that's all sort of the context that we need to incorporate into this. Um, but back to the point on mismatches, like Casey Morsell switched on to Jade Gardner yesterday, and it ended in a 10-foot mid-range mm-hmm. fall-away jump shot that was contested. Like, just, and the same thing is true with Ben Vanderplas. Like, this, those guys can't really exploit guards switching on to them. Um UVA did well against switching defenses earlier in the season. And I don't entirely remember how they necessarily did that. I think a lot of it was just sort of the guards hitting shots. Um, Three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I think that that was sort of the extent of it. And so, at the end of the day, like, this team is going to win and lose with its backcourt. Um, and so, necessarily, like, if teams want to switch, then fine, we'll find a mismatch on the perimeter. It's probably not going to be down low. Because uh, that's not where you want the bulk of the possessions going anyway. I do think that you need to, I think if Arm- Armand only took one three against NC State, I think he yeah. needs to be taking four to four to six a game. Like, I, And I, he, that's essentially what he's been averaging this year. But I think that any game that he's not is sort of like, well, why weren't we drawing these up for him? Because he's, I mean, yeah, yeah, Isaac is shooting a better percentage this season, but I think that Armand needs to be included into sort of the like set plays just to get him open threes. He only played 23 minutes, um, and I think Tony was just happy with what McNeely was giving, who played 28 minutes and had four points to Franklin's two. You You've only shot two for eight from three against NC State and then six for 18 against Mm -hmm. Virginia Tech, which sort of points to they relied on Gardner a lot. They relied on Beekman. driving the lane a lot. Uh but I do think that they probably need to see because if you can get Franklin going early, that gives a completely different dimension to your offense. Vanderbloss, yeah, he's come and go. Like he does a lot of good thing. He can he can do some things beyond shooting. A lot of his offensive value comes from just stretching the floor or not and he's just gonna be volatile like that. But I think Armand they need to feed a little bit more and try and get him cooking purposefully. Um That being said, the ACC is the ACC. So there's not – by handling business against NC State, UVA's life got a lot easier. Um, Yeah, beating Virginia Tech would have been nice, would mean that they're in first place um, in the ACC right now. But I also think that, like, taking that loss is just sort of, like, comes with the territory to some degree uh Mm -hmm. ben do you have any more thoughts on nc state and virginia tech before we talk a little bit about duke and a little bit about the sort of acc picture as it currently stands
1: no not really i mean i think they're gonna be fine i think they're set up to win the acc uh they look like the best team in the acc the nc state win was very encouraging for me
0: yeah and and that's you if they uh, can keep
1: shedrick rolling like they're set
0: yeah no absolutely Um, um I think beating NC state also basically knocked them out of first place contention. Now they're down at nine and five um, below the four 10 win teams with Virginia Pitt and Clemson all tied at 10 and three Miami having playing, having played one more game at 10 and four. um, And that's essentially who's going to be in the running to win the ACC down the stretch. Um, UVA plays Duke this Saturday we should probably get into that matchup a little bit. This is a Duke team that uh, scored a big win on Saturday. Had a little yeah. bit of a letdown on the road in Miami. Uh, yeah. Losing to the Hurricanes by, if my math is correct, 22 points, 81 to 59. I think I did the math wrong, but I think I might have done it right. You're the stats guy. Um Sounds okay, right to what, me. What are you thinking about – what are you thinking about Duke right now? Where, where, where do you see them? I mean, North Carolina just lost to Wake by what? Freaking, yeah, well, a lot. it only ended up being – it actually only ended up being seven points. But still, um, yeah. It was not
1: that close. It wasn't that uh, close. And UNC's on, and on a
0: three-game yeah. losing streak too. So, I don't know. What do you think about Duke? I mean, I think the talent's there. It's just like, can they put it together? And Yeah, so, they have. Duke –
1: I am not. They have not been good this year. They have not been the Duke that we know and love. The Duke that was up do we there love? In do we? Do in we love so Duke? many seasons, that the that the,
0: the... <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> everyone else loves. The love Duke like that it? we
1: love to hate. The yeah, yeah. The Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish to the twenty eighteen nineteen Virginia Cavaliers. They're not yeah, that yeah. team this year. That being said, I am always a little bit irrationally scared of Duke just because of how much NBA level talent they have on their roster that can just decide to turn it around and start playing really well at some point. Yeah, uh, I think uh, Filipowski is a bit of a scary matchup if Virginia sticks with the Vanderplas Gardner front court because I think Filipowski for Duke is a guy who's comfortable handling it, sort of a big uh, who can take it out on the perimeter. Uh, he started the season playing very well, the best of all Duke's freshmen. He's sort of cooled off a little bit, but I don't think Gardner or Vanderplass really matches up with him well. Uh, I think it'll have to be a Ryan Dunn game, almost, to Gardner yeah. Uh And the other guy who has scared me recently just from watching Duke play is Derek Lively. Yeah, I was say. Uh, He, around the basket on offense, basically all he can do is rim run and finish shots that are created by others for him, which is fine. Uh, I'm not too worried about him offensively with the exception of offensive rebounding and putbacks. Defensively is where uh, the fear comes. This is a dude who is one of the top recruits in the country coming into the season. Holy crap, his
0: block rate is third in the country.
1: He had five blocks against Miami, um, eight blocks against North Carolina, four blocks against Wake Forest, three against Georgia Tech not against Virginia Tech, but then five against Miami. So he has more than three blocks in five of his last six games, including eight against Armando Paycott and UNC. He is – and these aren't um, really blocks where he's getting caught out of position either. I think we've seen guys sort of chase blocks. He's athletic enough that he doesn't even need to be out of position to just be one of the best rim protectors in college basketball at this point. And Virginia really hasn't faced a guy like that this season. Uh, It worries me a little bit um, just what a defensive presence like that could do Mm -hmm. to the Hoos. All this being said, Duke has been pretty bad on the road this year. Uh, They had one really, really big win over Georgia Tech, which who cares? It's Georgia Tech. I think they doubled them up. Yeah, 86 to 43 doubled them up. But they – Other than that game, uh, lost by 22 to Miami on the road, lost by three to Tech on the road. That was a close game. But then eight to Clemson, 24 to NC State, 11 to Wake Forest. Like, they have struggled on the road. Uh, They don't travel very well. They have... Like maybe the biggest home road split in the country, considering what Cameron Indoor is, and then they only beat Boston College by on
0: one on the road.
1: By one, I remember that game. Yeah. Boston College had a very good shot at winning that game. Like there is a reason Virginia is going to be favorites in this game, and pretty heavy favorites probably. Yeah, but all that being said, it's still Duke. It's still Duke. still scare me.
0: I think the lineups will be really interesting to watch in this game, and could tell us a like. You're not going to face another Filipowski Lively front court, and Lively's been playing more minutes at the five recently. Like, and not at the five, but just in general. Um, and so the two of them have been playing more together. Um, I think. I don't know. Like, do you do you you say okay, we're going to run Caden Cheddar and Ryan Dunn in the front court for thirty five for thirty minutes, and then we're going to let our guards beat you because our guards are better than your guards. Like, do you commit to that, or do you say, all right, we're going to go Caden? on Filipowski and then ask Ben Vanderblas to survive against lively and then pull him out onto the perimeter in the triangle to see if you can take his shot blocking out of the, listen, like Tony Bennett is very much, I don't think he goes into games. Like this is how my lineups are going to go. He goes into games Mm -hmm. saying like, this is our game plan and then adjust the lineups accordingly to have the team have the other team plays. I mean, against NCZ, he was very quick to put Caden in. So like there are exceptions to that rule. Um, I don't think that he's going to start Ryan Dunn and, and Kane Chatterick, but do, do you have, you know, opinions on that? Just because I feel like the matchups, the matchup with Filipowski is most important, but the lively question is there because I think that if you told me that UVA loses this one 68 to 63, it's because... Derek Lively has six blocks on Kihei Clark and Reese Beekman. <laughs> and Kyle Filipowski goes for 30 points because he's just cooking whoever is on him. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I guess we shouldn't skim over some of the other guys Duke has too. Um, yes. They have Ty- Tyrese Proctor in the front court. Uh, very good. I believe Australian or from New Zealand, uh, but came uh, from overseas. Uh, he's Sydney, in Australia. Outdoor. Yeah, Sydney, Australia. Uh, Very good combo guard, not a great scorer. Um, Sort of think of like season one Reese Beekman, if he was asked to handle the ball more, maybe. Uh, He's at 28% from three, a guy who Virginia should be able to deal with, um, but a playmaker. They have Jeremy Roach, who everyone probably already knows. And then with Dariq Whitehead, uh, he's sort of their uh, forward recruit who's been like their – uh, another one of their top first round pick, whatever guys. He's had some injury issues recently. I'm actually not sure what the situation is there. If he's going to end up playing or not, uh, he sure hasn't we'll know played in the last the game.
0: He hasn't played in the last four games. He hasn't played. Yeah, he since has some leg hurt Tech. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But it, it's been a weird season for Duke. By the way, uh, they've had guys in and out of the lineup with various injuries basically all year long. They haven't been at full strength yeah. at all, really. Um, but yeah. I think you're right. Virginia is more talented than Duke in terms of guys who are currently at their level in college basketball. Yeah, uh, Duke is probably going to have more NBA minutes on their team than Virginia does. Uh, it'll be the same story. It always is uh, if Virginia's experience, whatever, uh, can get them past the very talented players that Duke has. I think you're right um, in terms of lineups that Tony Bennett is going to figure out what works what doesn't because i think it's going to be very clear against this duke team what works and what doesn't and i almost wonder if we don't see something like that miami game virginia played where for the last 16 minutes they basically rolled with the same five guys on the floor so was like this works
0: right and maybe not like miami was they that they went small this one Mm -hmm. probably won't be that unless you're specifically trying to force lively off the court I think when Ryan Young, if Ryan Young goes in the game, you just automatically just put Poppy into the ball game. You <laughs> say like, this is your matchup. This is your job for this game. Don't let him. Ryan, on Ken Palm, Ryan Young has the 12th highest offensive rating in the country.
1: Um, I mean, dude can play offense. He is horrible on defense, by the way, which is the reason he doesn't play more.
0: That's a good point. Maybe maybe you leave Vanderblas and say, okay, let's actually exploit him if we can. Um Ryan Young, yeah, he plays 51% of the minutes, uh, senior, like, you know. Yeah, I, if Ryan Young is the reason that UVA loses this game, they got bigger problems. So, yeah, I, I think that's essentially... I, I The guards are fine, again, if the guards beat you. Something else happened. And, yeah, like, Tyrese Proctor just went ridiculous. They got ridiculously hot, and, yeah. But, but I, I think... I mean, I I said that UVA was going to win out other than the UNC game, uh, and it was immediately proven incorrect. So I feel like my credentials to predict things are a little bit on the rocks right now. Um, That being said, like, I don't think that anyone can confidently predict a Duke win on the road against the experience of Virginia. I mean, they start three super seniors at home, in one of the toughest environments, not toughest, but one of the best environments in the ACC. Like I I just, I, I, it has to be the Filipowski show. And, and if, and if he's not a hundred percent, I mean, he just, you know, against Miami had nine points and was four for 12 from the field against Carolina. He was four for 14 from the field with 14 points. Like, you know, if he has one of those nights, I think UVA wins this by 12 um, yeah. okay. and I, 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 think it shouldn't be too sweaty. I think it's Duke and I think that it will be, but I, I still, I, you gotta be confident after seeing Caden, like after seeing Caden against NC state, you have to feel so much better about how this team like Duke pre- prevents or sorry, not prevents presents tough matchups in the front court, but with Caden playing like that against NC state and actually, and it wasn't just against the, the size and sort of bulk of, um, of Burns, even when Burns wasn't in the game, Caden still looked comfortable. And obviously, the offensive threat the NC State has from its other bigs is not that meaningful or significant, but it's mm-hmm. still something. it still shows like he's not just picking up all those dumb fouls that have been a problem. So I feel good. Like I, I, and then you know after this Duke game, you get that stretch that we've been talking about for a while. You get at Louisville, home against Boston College, or sorry, home against Notre Dame, and then at Boston College again. Three wins. If they lose that, bigger problems. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you think about Duke? You think you think UA pulls it out?
1: I think I am higher on this Duke team than I think Consensus. Uh, yeah. I think they're very talented. Um, they have also been god awful away from home. Yeah. Uh, if it's at Cameron, it's a very different story. I think it's a toss up, and I might lean towards picking Duke to win. It is not at Cameron. It is at JPJ. It should be a fun environment. I think it is an environment where Virginia is going to do very well. I think Virginia wins pretty comfortably.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, And that sets them up well. Like, I mean, Pitt in the ACC, Pitt has a ridiculously easy schedule. Um, You need to pray for them to lose at Virginia Tech on February 18th. and to Miami on March fourth, so that U UVA can have a chance at that one seed. If they split the regular season with Pitt and then get the two seed because of that Pitt loss, like it's fine. But God, yeah. is that annoying? Like that's just so annoying. The fact that like that's the game that defines sort of like how this season finishes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that being said, I think we're gonna wrap it up. I think we you know we touched on NC State, Virginia Tech, looked at it, Duke. Um. And the rest of the ACC, I think Clemson will continue to lose. I think Pitt will drop one or two of their tough road games, and it just sort of comes down to does UVA take care of business against the teams that it needs to take care of business against. Miami could be a sleeper to come get that two seed. Um, Maybe not a sleeper, but I think that could very well happen. Um, Yeah, stay tuned to the blog. Uh, Leading into the weekend, we had a cool lacrosse basketball doubleheader. Still lacrosse content coming out. Uh, I was able to be at lacrosse media availability tonight. Uh, so should have some stuff on that up shortly for the lacrosse fans. If you're interested in lacrosse, we are now doing biweekly uh, podcast episodes with Caroline Darney bringing her back into the fold, into the podcast on a more consistent basis, talking about lacrosse. Um, so that is the, uh, episode before this one on the feed so check it out um if you're interested i should also pitch if you're interested in in uh sponsoring or advertising with the streaking the Lawn podcast reach out to me uh you can dm me on twitter my dms are open you can email me at zach z-a-c-h dot Kerry, c-a-r-e-y at streakingthelawn.com um it's cheap we have a focused local audience that uh should be receptive to similar sorts of advertising from um, such businesses or brands. With that, thank you all for listening and go Hoos.